I want to talk to you today about Jesus died, so what? Jesus died, so what? Can I tell you that the subject I'm going to deal with today is one of the most unpopular subjects within the church community today? That a lot of pastors don't talk about it and don't want to talk about it because it's not clean, it's not pretty, it's not socially accepted, it's not politically correct. Now listen, Exalt Church, we will help you with your marriages. We will help you with your anxiety and talk about anxiety. We'll talk about overcoming fear and fulfilling your dreams. But if that's all we talk about and I leave this undone, I have been derelict as a pastor. I have failed my purpose on this earth because this is the greatest story, the greatest news, the greatest source of hope we'll ever hear about. So let's jump into it real quickly here. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1, we see these words, surely the arm of the Lord is not short or too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. In other words, God's arm can hear, God's ear can hear. He says, however, your iniquities have separated you from your God. He says, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Wow, what a predicament that I am separated from God, that God can save me and God can hear me, but God hasn't saved me and God hasn't heard me. Why? Because I'm separated from him. I mean, what are we going to do about that? That you and I are separated from God. I'm glad you asked about that. It has to do with Jesus Christ's death. Number one, do you realize that Jesus Christ's death satisfied God? Write that in your note. That Jesus Christ's death was more than enough. That Jesus Christ's death was effective. That Jesus Christ's death does not need to have anything else added to it. That Jesus Christ satisfied and pleased God. Let's look at Isaiah 53. And I'm going to throw a lot of verses at you, so please take notes and follow along with me. If I don't get done today, we'll pick it up next week. Isaiah 53, look at these words. He was despised and rejected by man, men. He was a man of sorrows, and he was familiar with suffering, like one from whom we hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. When Jesus Christ died, the world looked at him and said, this guy must have messed up. God must have been angry. What have you done? Remember the thief on the cross said to him, who do you think you are? I mean, you're just as wretched as we are. Other thief said, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. We thought he was afflicted by God for himself, but listen, when Jesus Christ came, Jesus was the perfect man. He lived the perfect life the sinless life, the life that I want to live and I have never been able to live, he has lived it. He lived the perfect life. And so when he died, he wasn't being smitten for himself for something he did because he was perfect. Listen, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace, that brought you peace, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. For all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. I have, haven't you? I've turned my own way. I've done what I thought was right. I've done what I thought was good for me. I've done selfish things. I've done what I've wanted. We've all gone our own way. And the Bible says, and the Lord has laid. In the Hebrew language, the word is actually strike. And the Lord has stricken on him, struck him, laid upon him, placed upon him the iniquity of us all. Listen carefully. The words holiness of God, the words righteous standard of God, the words God's punishment and God's discipline, the words God being angry at sin, I know those are not popular terms. However, sometimes I've got to get you lost so I can get you found. Because if we don't know what He saved us from, our salvation is cheap. When I was a young baseball player, we had a baseball party, a swimming party, and one of my friends literally almost drowned. We were all being pre-teenagers, having a good time, while my friend Mark was on the bottom of the pool, drowning. And finally, one of us saw him and pulled him out of the pool, and CPR commenced, And thank God, Mark's life was spared, and he lived that day. 911 was called. They came and carried him away. And to this day, if I see Mark, he will thank me for being one of the guys that pulled him out of that pool. Why? He knew what he was saved from. And so we can say, yes, I have been saved, but from what? God came to save you from you. God came to save you from yourself. God came to save you from a life that you could not fix yourself. Let's think about it for a moment. Gentlemen, why don't we ask for directions in our car? Because we don't believe we're lost. Honey, I know right where I am. Where are you? I know. Now we have the GPS down, and don't you love it now? Because now, before, you could just drive in your lost bliss. But now, she has the Google map on, your son, he has the Google map on, the daughter has the Google map on, and they're all talking to you, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. (laughs) And being a spiritual person, you want to cuss out loud, but because you love God, you just think it, all right? But anyway, and some of us do say it. Look out. So, but why don't you ask for directions? Why don't you listen to those Google Maps? Because I'm not lost. And some people don't realize they need a Savior because they don't know that they need to be saved. Some don't know they need to be found because they don't know they're lost. Have you ever been on a hiking trip and you're out hiking? I love to go hiking. And all of a sudden, you take a a, a trail that wasn't the trail you were supposed to be on, and you get through it, and later on you found out, I was lost, and I didn't even know it. So when I tell you guys that you can't save yourself, I'm saying to you, I love you, and you're lost. And can I say this? You can only lose valuable things. 
I may misplace stuff. I don't go looking for stuff that isn't, isn't valuable to me, but I look for the valuable stuff. I don't go looking for big pins. When I lose a big pin, I say, there's more where that came from. But listen, when I lose the pin my parents gave me at my graduation, I will tear up my entire office looking for it. Can I tell you that you are so valuable, that you are so loved, that you are so lost, that God left the praise of the angels and came to look for you, came to pursue you, came after you, when you didn't even know you were lost and you thought you had it pretty good because you're not Hitler, you're no Mother Teresa, but I'm not Hitler. God, I've got it. I do my chores. I pay my bills. I go to work. I'm a good dad. I'm a good wife. We don't know we're lost. And can I say oftentimes, my friends, that it's a lot easier for me to go to the jail and lead someone to Christ in the jail because at least when they're in jail, they know they have done something that needs some kind of redemption. When I meet someone that's been addicted to some uh, uh, abuse and I share Christ with them, they'll say, at least I know I need someone to set me free from this addiction. But here's the problem. Most of us are good people in our minds. We're good Americans, we're good Southerners, we're good Midwesterners, we're good, good, good people. And here's the reality, it's good people that are the most, I fear. Because the reality is, none of us are good when we compare ourselves to God. We're all lost, we all needed a Savior. So here's the reality. When I talk about God's judgment and, and God's punishment, Jesus took that judgment. Jesus took that punishment. He was the perfect substitute. He was the perfect sacrifice. Now, when I speak about those things in this millennial, people, millennium, people think, what are you talking about? Sacrifice and substitute? How do I wrap my mind around that? The best illustration I can come up with is your fried chicken dinner or your roast beef. The chicken did nothing, but it died. And when you eat the chicken, it died, but it causes you to live. Because you died, it gave you protein. Because the cow died, you got protein. And when you eat that hamburger, something died. Something gave up its life so you could live. Jesus Christ died and he says, I am the bread of life. Come, come and eat me. Come and receive me. Take me into yourself. I have died so that you will live. I have taken the punishment so you can walk out free. I once told a good friend of mine that. He was a Muslim friend of mine and we were very close. Uh, his name was Wasif, and he was a, a student at Oklahoma State University. And we were talking in a home, uh, in, a, in, a, in a home depot or a low store once upon a time. And I begin to share with him the story of Jesus. And here's what he said to me. He says, Roger, I think you're a great guy, but Christianity is cheap. And I said, what do you mean? You say, well, God will just forgive you and let me to heaven. After all the things I have thought, if you know what I thought, if you know what I said, if you know what I've done, and he was a good guy. He said, how, you know, listen, you say Jesus died and so I'm forgiven. He said, this Christianity thing is cheap. Say that to the cow that died before you eat its meat. Say it to the chicken before you eat it. Your death was cheap. Now let's take that and magnify that beyond that to the God-man, Jesus Christ. And I said to Wasif, I said, 
It may have been free, but it's not cheap. There is a difference between free and cheap. I have given cars away. I've had cars given to me. And can I say, the reality is, at some point and some time, someone paid for that car. When I gave my car to Wasif, I said to him, I paid for it. Was that cheap? No, it's a very nice car. So this Christianity may be free to you, but someone gave his life. It was Jesus. And he's more than a chicken. He's more than a steak dinner. He is more than a cow. He was God and he came and said, I will come and on the cross I will take your place and I will absorb the justice of God. Now this makes us uncomfortable because we don't want to hear it. And it makes us feel weird because we're enlightened and we're college educated. And you know, we have, we have all of this science and it kind of offends our sensibilities. But can I actually call you out on that and say, every single one of you want justice? There's not a person in here that doesn't want justice at some point. There's not a person here that hasn't said, I want what is wrong in the world to be made right. We say things like, I hope Hitler got his. We want justice, don't we? When I read stories of child abuse or hear them on the on the television, I mean, I become sick in my stomach. And more than once have I said to my wife, I would like to take that man who abused his kids, take him behind the barn in my Midwestern family's home and beat him until no one recognizes him. Oh, you're really special, aren't you, pastor? I'm being honest. I want justice. I do. And even as much as I love Jesus, there's a part of me that says, God, I want you to make it right. And then let's talk about these psalms. They're called the precatory psalms. They're the ones you don't want to read at the dinner table because they're offensive. The precatory psalms are when David prays, oh God, grind out their teeth. This is after you break up with the guy from Tinder. God, just break out his teeth. He's such a jerk, you know, break him, Lord, amen. This is when your husband fights with you and you say, Lord, show him how much of an idiot he is and how right I am. Get him, Jesus. The precatory Psalms, read them. And why does God put those in the Psalms? Because he shows us there is something within us that is righteous and holy that desires justice that wants this broken world to be set right. There's something in us, even the person that's not a Christ follower, even the person that is not a believer, even the most non-religious person you meet, there is something in them that says, this world isn't right. And here we come. God is holy. And God is not this guy that can be bribed. He's not some southern judge in some small town like Mayberry where you can walk in and bribe him and no offense to my southern judges. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not a man that you can bribe. He's not one you can trick. He's a God that says, I, I won't 
I won't wipe it under the, 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 the rug and hide it. I've got to deal with it. And so what does God do? Instead of hiding it, he deals with it openly. He takes himself and becomes a man and says, I demand justice, but I also demand mercy. It's the same side of the coin. You have a head and a tail. It's the same coin. Justice and mercy. And so because I demand justice, I will also provide the mercy for the judgment and I will satisfy the judgment. So he's holy. He's just. And we want justice. But look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 23. We'll come up for air in just a moment. Hang with me here. For all have sinned and all, say all, all. fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now, God, in His gracious kindness, you serve a kind God. You serve a loving God. You serve a gracious, merciful God. You serve a God who'd rather die than live without you. Yet now, God, in His glorious kindness, declares us not guilty. How? He's done that through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment of our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God. How? When we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. We want justice for everyone else, but I want mercy for me. When I look at you, I see your sin. I look at me and say, that's just my cute quirk. My mother and my wife can tell you differently. You see, all of us have sinned. All of us have lied. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Even the best person we know isn't perfect like God. God is perfect. He is holy and no one can be good enough in themselves to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and save themselves. I'm going to ask the esteemed Tommy Siegel and Tony Klepper to join me. Why don't you guys clap as they come up here? I want you to get back as far as that stage is there and as far as that stage here. I'm going to go stand right back here. You guys can watch them or watch me. I will give either one of you $1,000 if you can leap and touch my hand, actually touch this, this curtain back here, all right? So I want you to run to that line that was predetermined. I want you to leap. And let's start with Tommy Siegel on the left. Go. Give him a hand clap. Pretty good. <laughs> Pastor Tony Klepper, let's try it. Red shoes. Wow. Now, pretty decent. My friend Jonah, you're a young man. Come help me, Jonah. This is not in the notes. Jonah, come up here, buddy. Jonah, do I, do I have a woman volunteer as well? I don't want to leave any woman athletes out of this. Laura Pate has just walked in. Look out. Why don't you stand right here, my friend? I want you to run to that line and jump. Wait a minute. To that line 
And I want you to try to get to that black curtain, all right, as best you can. Run, hop, skip, jump, or whatever. Ready? One. Yep, you're going to run to that line and jump. Go. All right. Here's the point. Tommy, go back and stand where you were, my friend. Tony, stand where you were at. It looks like Jonah beat y'all, didn't it? Let me ask you this. Did you do the best you could? Do the best you could. Jonah, did you give it your all in this shirt? <laughs> if you would have been in a different athletic shirt, would you have made that curtain? Give him a hand. Thank you so much. Here is the point. Here is the point. One may have leapt and got a little further than the other, but none of them could make up the difference. And maybe there's some here and they would jump, and when they jump, they may end up right about here. They still did not make the difference. Someone else may jump and make it here. And here's the point. It's like the Grand Canyon. I could have the Grand Canyon and say to you, I want you all to jump across the widest part of the Grand Canyon. And the reality is, you may leap and you may get further than I got, but at the end, it doesn't matter because at the end, you hit the bottom. Make sure that's not the heater coming on, okay? And so when you jump... In yourself, you cannot do it in yourself. You cannot make up the difference. You cannot pay the price. You do not have the ability. You do not have the currency. You do not have the, the willpower to do it. What's the reality? You need a Savior. And Jesus Christ came and he became that bridge and says, the difference that you try to make and cannot make, I will make up the difference. I will be the bridge that unites God to you. I will be the one that brings you to God and brings God to you. And how do you do that? You did it by dying upon the cross. His work, his accomplishment, his death was the payment that satisfied God, that made up the difference. A number of years ago, Billy Graham was pulled over for speeding and he had to go to the judge. And he walks before the judge and he, he was guilty of speeding. And the judge says, have you been guilty of speeding? Yes, sir, I was going so fast and I was guilty. And he said, um, aren't you Billy Graham, the famous television preacher? And Billy Graham says, yes, I am. And he, and he began to put his wallet back away. And the judge says, oh, no, you owned the fine. You were speeding. But the judge said, let me do it for you. And the judge took out his wallet and paid the fine. Here's the reality, my friends. I cannot pay the fine I cannot fix it. In myself, I can't satisfy God. In myself, I'll never be good enough. And you know what? I may look at you and say, hey, I'm better than you are. I never robbed a bank. But you know what? My offense against God is still an offense against God. I'm still lost. Lost is lost. Wow, you're quiet today. Number two, let's move on here. 
Did you guys get the point there? Number two, Jesus Christ died, so what? Jesus Christ's death forgave our sin. Catch these words. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, Christ sacrificed his life's blood. And let me just say something to you folks. Some of you were raised in mystical denominations where you made the blood something mystical and kooky and spooky. Let me clear that up for you right now. Wherever you see the word blood, you can insert the word death right there. Christ sacrificed. He died to set us free. The act of bleeding is the act of death. Christ sacrificed his blood to set us free. He gave his life, which means that our sins are now forgiven. Christ did this because God was so kind to us. Have you ever been offended? Have you ever been hurt? Whenever someone offends you, and when you get offended, there's one or two types of offenses. There's a real offense, and then there is a perceived offense, and they both hurt. Because if you've been wronged, or you think you've been wronged, it hurts. And if you've been wronged, and you think you've been wronged, and someone tells you you weren't wronged, you get even more mad. Because a perceived offense is like a real offense. Can I say this to you, my friends, that when it comes to me and God, there was no perceived offense. It was real. I offended him. I did not live up to his holy standard. And yet, when someone offends you, and they hurt you, and you forgive them, you know what that is? You're basically saying, I canceled the debt that you owe me. I set you free. I canceled the debt. I let you go. Yes, I'm hurt. And so when you're hurt and you forgive something, let me ask you this question. Does it ever feel good at first? If you've ever been betrayed seriously and you forgive that person, can I tell you, it makes you sick in the pit of your stomach. It doesn't taste real good. And you say, God, I forgive them joyfully. And in time, you walk that out. And the closer they are to you and the more you love them and the more you respect them and the deeper the relationship, the deeper the hurt and the more currency of hurt and the more currency of debt happens. And when you release them and you forgive them, you're canceling the debt and saying, I choose to pay it. I absorb the hurt. I take the pain. I don't just dismiss it. I'm not saying what you did was right, but I absorb it. I take it into my own self, and I choose to forgive you. When Jesus Christ, God, forgave us, he was saying, I will take the hurt you inflicted upon me. I will take it. I will absorb it. I will take it upon myself. And upon the cross, I will take your offense. I will own it. I will pay it. I will carry the emotional and mental and physical ramifications of it as I forgive you. 
That's why it's so important when Jesus said, as, as Paul actually said, even forgive others even as Christ has forgiven you. Do you realize there's nothing more spiritual? There's no better way to preach the gospel, not even a sermon like this, than when you forgive someone. Because when you forgive someone, you're actually demonstrating what God was like to you. And you're preaching the gospel that although you can't fix it, I forgive you. If you've ever been betrayed, it's not fun. If you've ever had your closest friend stab you in the back, it's not fun. If you've ever been truly offended or perceived offense, it's not fun. But here's what happens when you release them. I'll tell you, there's a joy that comes. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. That blows my mind. Jesus died, so what? He died so that you could be absolutely 100% forgiven. Can I tell you that when God looks at Jesus Christ, he says, it's enough, the debt's paid, it's settled, it's over. Number three, Jesus died, so what? Do you realize that Jesus Christ's death cleansed us from guilt? And when I talk about guilt, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about shame or guilty feelings that when he died, he dealt with your shame. Can I go here right now? There are some of you right here, and i got to pause. Yeah, we go there. Okay. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he died, Hollywood makes it so beautiful. He's bronzed, he's tan, he has a six-pack abs, perfect hair, a little bit of blood, and we show him in a Tarzan covering. He was stripped naked. He was crucified naked before the world. He was shamed openly. There are studies by scholars and what the Romans did to him that I will not talk about on a Sunday morning service. But I want to say this to you and be very clear. He knew what it was like to feel pain and hurt, betrayal, and shame. He took upon himself your shame so that you don't have to be ashamed. And some of you have had those words in your mind, the words of shame that have just haunted you and have stalked you and they've carried with you. Can I say to you right now, my friends, he took your shame. And shame can come upon us because of something we have done when we are guilty. And shame can come upon us when someone else has done something to us that they were guilty of. Am I very clear? Are you tracking with me? There were some of you that were told, ask God to forgive you for something that wasn't your fault. Tell a divorced person, oh, God will forgive you for being divorced. 
and he was the one or she was the one that didn't want the divorce? Would you tell someone that was, 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 was stabbed, God will forgive you for being murdered? No. So when Jesus Christ came, he deals with that shame, that, that false shame, that, that thing that attaches itself to us and says, I am a broken person and I will never be whole. I will never be worthy of love. No one will love me because I am nothing but used up goods. Jesus died to remove that shame. Be very clear of that. On the other side of it, he died to cleanse us when we are guilty. You see the difference? 1 John 1, 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has cleansed and removes us from all sin and guilt, guiltiness. It's a legal term. Romans 8, 33, who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Romans 8 and 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation, a legal term, for those who are in, who believe in Christ Jesus. I want to clean it up here again because I want to make sure I was very clear. Shame is often different than guilt. And I want to say to you, if you're experiencing a false shame there is nothing that you need to be forgiven of for that shame but you need to know he loves you and he understands that shame and he receives you i want to make sure i got that cleaned up however there is a guilt that does come from when we have failed and he also comes to remove that guilty plea that says you're guilty. Your Honor, how do you plead? Guilty. I, you guys know I'm a bit of a speed demon. It's one of my many flaws. I need a savior. I really do. And uh, one time I got pulled over in a small county out in Virginia, out clear out in the sticks, where the sticks, ticks, and hicks are. It was clear out there. And uh, they pulled me over. And the officer was a nice guy. He looked at my record and he says, you need to go to court. I said, why? He goes, our judge is lenient. You need to go. I said, no, I'm guilty. He said, I've seen your record. You need to go to court. He, he won't hold it against you. Since then, I got, since then I, I reformed a little bit and I'm not as much of a speed demon. But anyway, so I go before the judge and I stand there. And the judge says to me these words. Young man, how do you plead? I thought, I like this judge calling me a young man. This is a good dude right here. Not real wise calling me young, but I like this guy. He goes, how do you plead? And I said to him, I said, your honor, so like that, guilty. I couldn't lie to him. I couldn't say, oh, I'm a good driver. No, I was guilty. And he knew. And he took my record, and with a pen, he just checked off speeding ticket after speeding ticket after speeding ticket after speeding ticket. I was guilty. And I don't know why, but he gave me mercy, and he gave me grace, and he let me go with a small court fee. I was guilty. I didn't even want to be there, but the officer told me, you better go. 
a little boy got a new slingshot. He was out in his backyard with a slingshot, and he saw Grandma's favorite duck. And it was too much for him, the poor duck. He took the slingshot, and he shot the duck, and he killed it. It was Ma, Grandma's favorite pet. And after little Johnny shot the duck, guess who was standing over there beside him? Little sister Sally Marie. And Sally Marie did not say a word, but she knew what little brother Johnny had done. He'd killed Grandma's duck. And Johnny comes to dinner and he feels the guilt of his guilt. And he comes in and he sits there and Grandma says, Sally Marie, why don't you help me do dishes? And Sally Marie says, oh no, Grandma, Johnny wants to do those dishes, don't you, Johnny? And Johnny goes, remember the duck. Yes, Grandma, I want to do the dishes. They finish dinner and Johnny's done the dishes and Grandpa says, well, who wants to go fishing? And Johnny says, I want to go fishing. And little Sally Marie says, but I want to go fishing. There's only one room for one in Grandpa's truck, bed, truck, you know, cab. Only I can go. And she said, remember the duck. So Sally went fishing. And this went on for several days, Johnny doing his chores and doing Sally's chores. And finally, he couldn't handle it anymore. And he comes running to Grandma and he says, Grandma, Grandma, I'm so sorry I killed your duck. And Grandma says, honey, I know. I was washing dishes in the window when I saw you kill my duck. I wondered how long it would take you to realize that I love you and I forgave you and how long it would take you to break off being a slave to your sister who bound you up with condemnation. Beautiful story, isn't it? I killed the duck you killed the duck. The loving Father has already dealt with it. He's already here, ready to receive you. There's a beautiful story in the New Testament where the rebellious son comes home to the Father. And the Bible says that while he was a great way off, the Father ran to him before he ever gave a speech, before he ever said anything. The Father ran to him. And while he is crying and trying to get himself together, the Father is saying, put a robe on him, put shoes on his feet, give him a ring my son who was dead is alive it's good to have you home son I'm thrilled to have you home Amen. and some of you are out there and you've heard the guilt and the shame of Satan of something you did 15 years ago 20 years ago and the father says bring it to me bring it to me my death is sufficient to satisfy the guilty plea. I stand here at a posture to forgive you. 
and yet our own minds, and yet the condemnation of Satan, and even some religious churches will proclaim to you that you'll never be loved, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be, you'll never be restored, you can never do that because of what you did. Can I tell you, you stand in a church here that will uncompromisingly preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, but what that gospel says is that because he died, you can be free, and you can have a life abundantly a restored and renewed life, a life that he has lived for you. The guilt and the shame, he's dealt with it. I do want to hit one more here, and I'm not going to finish it today. Number four, but you got to get this. Jesus Christ's death justified us. I want to end on this note. Romans 5 and 9, again, it's, it's a legal term. Since we have now been justified by His blood, by His death, by His substitutionary death, by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, Him who knew no sin, Jesus, He made Him to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's what I call the divine trade. He took my sin, He took my wickedness, He took my guilt, he took all of my messed up stuff and my broken life. He took that and he gave me a brand new life. He gave me his life. When he says he's made you righteous, do you realize that the Bible calls you a saint? Wouldn't that be great walk around here and call you St. Tommy? St. Tommy and St. Laura, I want to see that in your house. I want to see you do that to Tommy. St. Hubby, good to see you, St. Hubby. Do you realize it calls you a saint? That fallen people, Paul writes and says, hey, saints, why is that? Because he knows that in Christ you've been made holy because of what Jesus Christ did. The word justified means this, you've been stripped from the old sinfulness. The word justified means that you have been made just like him. Just like him. The Father loves the Son. The Father adores the Son. There is no fault or flaw in Him. When you call upon Jesus and become a Christ follower and you believe in what He did, you become just like Him. You are made righteous. Amen. Won't you stand with me quietly as the band comes? Thank you for being patient with me as I try to get all the way through. We may pick this up next week. We may not. I haven't decided yet. We'll pray and see where we're at, okay? Deal? Deal. Amen. I'm speaking to you today, and maybe you've been raised in church. Take that off the screen, please. Maybe you've been raised in church. Maybe you have never been in church. Maybe you've been in a dysfunctional church, or you've been in a great church. I want to say to you today that Jesus Christ came to bring you life.
Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you thought you were a good person. And listen, you're a good guy. You're a good woman. But you still need a Savior. And compared to God, none of us are good. I needed Him. So when He saved me, He changed my nature. He changed my life. But Jesus says to you today, I want to be your Savior. And right now, right where you're at, He wants to find you. and He wants you to find Him. Quietly, guys, please. He wants you to find him. And so I don't do this very often, but right here and right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so you can find him. And I'm going to ask you to invite Christ to come into your life. Will you pray with me? And you say, Roger, what are you going to make me do after that? I'm going to ask you to do two things after that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see your hand so I can pray for you. I'm going to ask you to make a note on the card. I became a Christ follower today so I can get some stuff in your hands to help you. That's it. You're not going to make me walk down front here? No, I'm not. Right where you're at. Can you pray with me? Eyes closed, heads raised. If you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior today, pray with me. Say, Father God, I call upon you. I ask you to save me based upon what Jesus Christ did. I need your life. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died in my place. Save me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Make me a new creation. Change my life by your power. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every eye closed, every head still raised. If you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life or you made a new commitment to him, will you just raise your hand just real high right now? Hands all over the place going up. Hands all over the place. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Every hands over the place. Eyes raised, looking at me. Now look me in the eye. Your hands can go down. Look me in the eye. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ wants you. Jesus Christ is more than enough. He is sufficient, and he has cleansed you. Amen. Can you give a clap to the Lord for that? Amen. Amen. A couple of hands raised in worship, but many hands went up. Take that blue card. Let us know you made a commitment. I want to send you some information to help you. On the resource table, ushers, just stand out the back. We're not going to receive an offering today. Just stand at the back, please. We're not going to take this holy moment and take an offering afterwards. It was too, too emotional. Um, there's resources at the table that are free, a free Bible and a book on Jesus Christ. Grab those and read those, okay? If this is your church home and you want to give an offering, the ushers will stand there with their blue buckets. If not, we'll trust God to pay the light bill, all right? We'll trust him, amen. Sound good for it, amen. One thing you'll know this, we're more concerned about your soul than we are what is in your wallet. You, listen to me, listen to me. We love you, amen. Guys, take us out, hallelujah, amen.